Hello, and welcome to the First Baptist Hanford podcast. Our primary mission at FBH is to love God, love people, and serve the world. We hope that this weekly podcast will encourage you in your daily walk with Christ as we play for you our most recent sermon audio. Let's have a listen. Uh, For those of you who don't know, if you're new here, my name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at FBH. And we're so excited that you're, uh, that you're here with us. Um, anybody find a pool at some time this week? Jump in the pool, try to cool off. Yeah, a couple of you, you're like, nope, staying inside, air conditioning, um, which is great. Uh, also, parents, the clock is ticking, week and a half until school starts back up. And so uh, hope you did your back to school shopping. And all. I was talking with friends yesterday who were like 41 hours until school starts. It's like... That's a real countdown right there. That's a real countdown. Um, we're, uh, we're in the middle of this Oikos series that we're doing. And, uh, and if you're new with us, um, inside your, your program, you got a card that looked like this. If you're old with us, that's not an age thing. That's a duration thing. If you're old with us, um, then you can, uh, if you don't want another one of these, you can deliver them back to guest services there on your way out. Um, but uh, on that Oikos card really is what we're, uh, what we're walking through, is this idea that God has supernaturally and strategically placed eight to 15 people in your relational world and all of our relational world in order for us to make an impact on them for Jesus. That's really what, what this whole series is driving at. It's the whole reason that we've been doing these videos and, and highlighting different instances of people being intentional with their oikos. And so, you know, with, uh, with Miss, Miss Janice and her sharing, and man, if Janice gets intimidated to talk about Jesus, we all know it's okay to get intimidated to talk about Jesus because that's one of the ladies, like as soon as I got here, she got my cell phone number and like she just texts me all the time. Sometimes it's like, random pictures or cartoons that she thinks is funny or whatever it may be, but just a total source of encouragement and love towards me, uh, specifically towards my family and especially towards those people who don't know Jesus. She's got a heart as big as a mountain. Um, And so uh, all that to be said, all of us have those people in our lives. If you would say that you're a follower of Christ, all of us have those people in our lives. It's It's the reason every single one of you are here today in some capacity, right? For some of us, if you were like me when you grew up, uh, mom and dad, they dragged you to church every single Sunday. And some Sundays, I didn't wanna go. Um, so a lot of Sundays, was like, I'd rather stay home and eat some donuts and watch cartoons. I remember one Sunday in particular, I woke up and my parents were like, hey, we're not going to church today. There's a pink box on the counter and cartoons were on the TV. I was like, what is happening right now? This is awesome, best Sunday ever, right? Um, I think it was like six. Uh, but I distinctly remember that. But outside of that, man, every single weekend, mom and dad are like, time to go to church, time to go to church, time to go to church. And we did. And, uh, and, and for us, I grew up uh, in the Merced area. And so we grew up the first nine, 10 years of my life, we spent at First Baptist Merced or Merced First Baptist. Their name is wrong. Ours is right. Um, but uh, at Merced First Baptist Church. 
And uh, it was, it was a, a good church, and, and it was a place where I really did fall in love with God because of the fact that my parents were intentional about bringing me there, and not just the church, uh, not just that church, but, man, we switched churches when I was like 10 or 11 years old, and they were intentional still with making sure that me and my brother were plugged in and plugged in and plugged in, and I fell in love with Jesus through different programs that they had, but really just the faithful steadiness of my parents, and me and my brother, who were in my parents' oikos, just saying, no, you're coming to church with me today. I don't care if you want to stay at home in your jammies and eat donuts. You're going to church today. You're going to church today. And sometimes I hated it, but ultimately I fell in love with Jesus and then eventually the local church as well. It was that whole reason of, of my parents instilling that value into my life and training me up in the way that I should go that I really began to feel the call in my life to become a pastor because I love the local church. And the local church is actually God's plan A to get his message out to non-believers. And really that's what Oikos is all about. It's us empowering us, I always say us as a, as a staff or as pastors, empowering those people in our church, in our, in our care to be able to say, hey, look, this is your responsibility, you need to go. My responsibility as a pastor is to be able to train the local church and equip the local church, but your responsibility as a Christian, just like my responsibility as a Christian, is to be able to go into all the nations, baptizing them, or making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And scripture is incredibly clear about that. And so that really is uh, what we're looking at uh, today, what we're looking at for the, for, uh, the next couple weeks. Um, and, and I get so excited about it. I get so excited, not just because like, oh yeah, our church is growing, FBH, that's, don't you know who we are? No, whatever, forget about that. I care about the kingdom of God. And so as we do our best to expand the kingdom of God using this principle, man, it gets me so excited and so I can tell you, if you're sick of hearing about oikos, you're going to become more and more nauseous as I'm the senior pastor here, okay? Because we're going to continue to talk about it because I care about kingdom growth. We are charged as a community of believers to grow the kingdom of God. And again, like Janice said, maybe it's not our church, maybe it's the big church. You point them in a different direction because they don't like our context or they're not, they don't feel at home here or whatever. Totally fine. But our responsibility is indeed to grow that church. And, and the interesting thing is, though, is that as we dig in more and more, and as I think more and more about this Oikos principle and talk with more people about it, this is a challenge, right? This is a hard thing to do. Janice even talked about how it's a hard thing to do. There's an intimidation side of things there. And there's a lot of people in here who have been uh, a part of the faith community, have been a part of, uh, of being a follower of Jesus for a really long time, and who maybe they've been a follower of Jesus for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and have still never introduced anybody else to Jesus. And if you're in here today and that's you, you're not alone. You're not like the one person, and I'm also not gonna ask you to raise your hand, by the way. <laughs> but if that's the case, today I think we have a very applicable text as to how to very easily introduce people who are in your oikos to Jesus. So we're going to be camping in Mark chapter 2 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip open to Mark chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 13. It's also going to be, uh, going to be up out on the screen. And it's, it's going back to when Jesus is calling his disciples, right? It's the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, and he's calling his disciples, and he's already called 
Peter and Andrew and James and John, and so those guys are on board. And then the next one that we see uh, in the book of Mark, did I say Mark or Matthew? What, Mark, okay, good, we're good. Um, but the next one we see, see in the book of Mark uh, is him actually calling uh, his next disciple who is going to be a man by the name of Levi. Um, and so it starts in verse 13, it says this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. Verse 14, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, we tend to camp, when we teach through this or we're reading through this, we tend to camp on that first verse of Jesus' call, or that second verse, rather, of Jesus calling Levi to follow him, right? And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But I think what gets lost in this is that second verse in verse 15, while it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Okay, the question there is, is how do you think all of those people got to Levi's house? You think they all just showed up? You think Jesus like put out flyers or put out a Facebook ad and was like, hey guys, we're going to meet at Levi's tonight. You cool? Go ahead and press respond and share with your friends because that's how everybody, no, that's not what happened, obviously, because Facebook is a terrible thing and Jesus never would have used it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but what, what actually happened is Levi got an opportunity to follow Jesus. And as he got an opportunity to follow Jesus, he was so excited about it. He was like, okay, who are the people that I know? Levi as a tax collector, who are the people that I know? Well, I know other tax collectors and sinners. Sweet. I'm going to invite them over to my house. But we do want to focus on that first part for just a second. And your first blank here is, is that Jesus called the most hated type of sinner to follow him. Jesus called the most hated type of sinner to follow him. And here we see Jesus continuing his teaching ministry back at the beginning of there. And he didn't just wait for people uh, to, come to, to come to him at the synagogue, right? Jesus wasn't waiting uh, for, for services to start and then everybody would come to him. It was just like people came to Jesus. And as people came to Jesus, he was like, hey, let me talk about things that actually matter with you. Okay, and so, that, so Jesus is walking along. He went out beside the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and he taught the crowds there. And as he's walking along, he sees Levi sitting at a tax collector's booth. And this is, this Levi, he's the same person whose name is called Matthew in scripture. So for those of you who are wondering, like, I don't remember a disciple named Levi. Yeah, it's because, yeah, he becomes known as Matthew. Uh, it's the same Matthew who wrote the gospel of Matthew, actually. So Levi's job was to collect a tax or a toll from people who were entering into the city. And so this booth was really kind of like a type of toll booth, right? So imagine you're, uh, you're driving up to San Francisco to root on the Giants, right? And as you're crossing that bridge, some of you Dodger fans are shaking your head right now. It's okay. I'd rather drive to San Francisco than through the madness of LA any day. Um, but you're driving up to San Francisco to root on the Giants, um, and you, you get to the Bay Bridge, and you are go, trying to cross the Bay Bridge, and all of a sudden there's three bucks, and you do that mad scramble to try to figure out if anybody has $3 worth of cash in their pocket anymore, right? Um, and so you throw it in, and then you go. 
Well, the interesting thing about this, though, is that that toll booth is regulated. It's actually government regulated. And so they don't get the people sitting at that tax booth don't get to say, you know what? You have to pay four dollars. Now you can pay two. Now you have to pay 13. You know, whatever it may be, those people don't get to set those prices. The type of tax collector that Matthew was, though, he actually did get to set the prices. So the government said, hey, look, this is the amount of money that I need from you that is actually owed from these people as they enter the city. Well, these tax collectors then would pad their pockets and charge whatever they personally wanted to make and take that off the top and throw it into their pocket, right? So that's really the type of tax collector that Levi was. And now for a lot of us, we think, okay, well, Jesus called Levi and Levi then gets up and he starts walking with Jesus. He literally gets out, uh, up out of his booth and starts following Jesus. And in hindsight, 2000 years later, we're like, oh, cool. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. It's Jesus walking by. And so of course, if Jesus says, hey, come follow me, all of us in this room who are followers of Jesus would be like, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to follow Jesus because I know how the story ends. And so I'm going to follow. Matthew doesn't know how the story ends here. Levi doesn't know how the story ends here. And so Levi actually stands up and he follows him. But this, this to us seems like a normal thing, but we need to realize how people viewed tax collectors in that day. I mean, let's start with how we view tax collectors in our day, right? Like, like nobody is excited to get a letter from the IRS, right? That's not like something that you're like sprinting to your mailbox and be like, I hope the IRS wrote me today, right? No one's excited about those types of people. All of us view those, uh, the IRS, hopefully not the individuals, but all of us view those people in a really poor light. And tax collectors, you know, they extract money from people for the government. And then, like I said, Levi was allowed to keep a piece of that pot for themselves. And tax collectors in that day, as you can imagine, had a reputation for being incredibly dishonest. They were cheaters. They were extortionists. And if you were a Jew who became a tax collector, man, that was even worse. That was even worse. You were considered a traitor by your fellow Jews. You were working for the enemy. And that's where we find Levi here. William Lane, he's a theologian. He actually wrote, when a Jew entered the customs service, so, right, the in and out tax service, a customs service, he was regarded as an outcast from society. He was disqualified as a judge or a witness in a court session was excommunicated from the synagogue, and in the eyes of the community, his disgrace extended to his family. Okay, so like this isn't just like, oh, I don't like that guy. It's not like junior high, like I'm not gonna talk to them, right? Like that's not what we see going on here. They are publicly shamed. Like they were not allowed to even hold office because of the poor view of, of, of their profession. So Levi was a Jew who was a tax collector. So based on everything that we know, for Jesus to call him to follow him was not only completely unlikely, it was also completely unexpected and completely and totally frowned upon by the establishment, by the established religion of the day. Levi was a sinner. And by, by the standards of the people in the day, he was the worst kind of sinner. Jesus called him, he got up and he followed him. And there's a lot at stake for Levi here too. That's the other thing we need to understand. If things didn't, didn't work out uh, for like Peter or John as fishermen, man, we even see it once Jesus goes, right? They just go back to fishing. Like, like it's no skin off their backs. So They're like, okay, well, this Jesus thing didn't work out. I guess we should go back to catching fish, 
right? And, and there was, it wasn't a big deal, but a tax collector's job, specifically Levi's job, was hard to come by. And so when Levi left his tax collector's booth, it was a one-way ticket, and he knew it. He knew that once he got up and left, someone was going to backfill that position. But regardless, he got up and he followed Jesus anyway. Luke's gospel actually tells us that Levi left everything to follow Christ. You know, we don't, we don't have to be, each and every one of us don't have to be a super spiritual person to follow Jesus. Jesus calls even the least likely candidates to join the kingdom of God. He calls sinners like you and I every single day. And we simply have to say, yes, stand up and follow him. But Jesus not only calls the sinners to follow him, he actually called the sinners to fellowship with him as well. So if you reread verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. There were many who followed him. The sinner invited his friends to meet Jesus. The sinner invited his friends to to meet Jesus. Man, Levi was so excited. He was so jacked up that he gets an opportunity to follow this rabbi that, man, guys, I left everything. I left all the things that I thought were important. And I started following this Jesus guy. You have to come over here and meet him. Because scripture doesn't say this happened immediately. It wasn't like Levi got up, he followed Jesus, and like as they were walking to his house, he's like, hey, come over. Hey, that's not what's happening here. It was sometime in the future is when this happens. And so Levi is so excited, he talks to all of his friends, his tax collector and sinner friends. And the word sinners here are used to refer to people who had a bad reputation in the community, people who were well known uh, as sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, adulterers, social outcasts. And Mark, the, 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 uh, Mark tells us that there were many of them there. And so not only does Jesus get an opportunity to fellowship with those people. The guests get an opportunity to eat with Jesus as well. The guests get an opportunity to eat with Jesus. So this party at Matthew's house was lavish. It was an incredibly large party. It was a wealthy house. Luke 5.29 says it was a great banquet. It was a mega party. Like this isn't like, oh, we're going to get together with like five friends and we're going to, you know, hang out and play Pictionary or something like that. Wasn't what was going down here. Okay? This was a feast, a massive party that was being thrown. And the text kind of indicates that Matthew's house had this great hall or a large open courtyard to accommodate this type of crowd. Like this would have been a party, yet it was filled with what, who was considered the worst of the worst the low lives of the re region, those who were rejected by regular folks, those folks that probably frustrate you if they're your neighbor. That's who this was filled up with. And in Mark 15, Mark, Mark calls them many tax collectors and sinners. Jesus would never see these folks while ministering in the synagogues. These aren't people who would come to the synagogue to hear Jesus teach because of their status in society. They simply wouldn't have been there. So this would have probably been one of the only opportunities for Jesus to be able to teach these people. So a lot of them came though, showing interest in, in this guy who called their buddy out of the tax collector game. 
All of them saw him there. So there's many types of tax collectors, right? There's lots of different types of tax collectors. There were tax collectors who collected regular fixed tax, like land and income tax. Okay, that wasn't, that wasn't who Matthew was. And then there were these, these smaller tax collectors. They were, the, they were those who collected kind of the in and out, the import, export type of tax collectors. And they were ones who oversaw a whole bunch of little ones. Matthew would have been this guy up here. Okay? He would have been the most despised of those people. But I want you to recognize that when they say tax collectors, man, it wasn't just tax collectors who were taking tolls at a booth. It was all of the people who were showing up, knocking on your door saying, hey, you owe us this, you owe us this, you owe us this. And in the same way, the people on the other side of the door are thinking to myself, you are a traitor to our people. You are a sinner. You are working for the enemy, but I have to do this and paying out of their pocket over and over. Those are the people who are at this house. And along with the tax collectors, like I said, came the sinners. And these may have been people who were like enforcers, the men who threatened and abused others in the collection of debts. There's some theologians who believe those were the type of people, right? The muscle. So as the tax collector walks up and say, you owe the government this, it's just like that massive dude who's six foot five, 300 pounds, like bowed up in the back, standing like this, right? Like that would have been the other group of people who could have been there as well. And so these are all people who, who, like the religious society at the time, never, ever would have interacted with them. The Jews of Jesus' day used this, this term to oversee all of these people. So I think I'd be beating a dead horse at this point if I say these people weren't desirable people to hang out with. Verse 15, though, says that so many of them came intrigued and touched by the opportunity to dine with Jesus. And Jesus is reclining at this table in the house. And like we heard a couple weeks ago, when we were talking about uh, Peter going, going and eating at Cornelius's house, if you ate with people in this era, this is a sign of, uh, of fellowship, of love, right? This, was, this wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to go get to know somebody. This was a, I mean, this was a very, very intimate thing. And beyond that, the way that they are eating is they're reclining. They didn't always recline in that day while they ate. Now, there's a couple instances that we see that Jesus and his disciples were reclining at the table. We talk about that in the upper room. Jesus and his disciples were eating at the upper They were reclining. Okay, and the way they would have reclined, man, it would have been like lap of luxury, right? Especially at Matthew's house. And so they're like laying down, like feet out this way, tables right here. They're leaning on their left elbow and they're eating with their right hand. And they're just talking about life. And they're talking about, about who they are. And Jesus is teaching at the time. I mean, this was a celebration. And we recognize that because of the fact that they were reclining here. The shocker, though, is found in the last phrase of verse 15, where it says, for there were many of them and they were following him. There were many of them, and they were following him. Many of the worst people were now following Christ. The most horrible criminals, extortionists, were trusting Jesus. The bad friends of Matthew were now becoming the good friends of Christ. Those who were filled with extortion were turning from that lifestyle now to follow Jesus. All because Matthew was willing to do what? Invite him over for dinner. That's all Matthew did. 
He said, hey, come on over. I want you to meet this guy, Jesus. And they're excited. And they get an opportunity to go recline and dine with the, they didn't know us at the time, but the savior of the world. And so they go and they sit. So the question for us then is that, that who is a pre-Christian in your oikos? And you're like, that's a weird question. Pull all your oikos cards real quick, okay? And look at these. That first section right here, we, we've given these out week after week after week after week, okay? Uh, you, you could probably wallpaper your bathroom with some of these for the ones that you have sitting on your counter at home. But this first section really is reserved for people that you would say are pre-Christians, those people who don't yet know who Jesus is. That's who we call pre-Christians because our hope would be that they would come to know who Jesus is. Those four, maybe it's seven. If you're Janice Hansen, it's 3,000, whatever it is. Like those people should fit there in that category and you should be praying with them and you should be praying for them. But if this section is empty on your card, you need to make pre-Christian friends, period. That's what we're called to do. It's not just because of oh, stage of life. I'm so big. I have so many kids right now. Like because of all my kids, I have no opportunity or I'm over 30. So I don't even know how to make friends anymore, right? Like how do you make friends? You don't just walk up to somebody and say, hey, can I play with your toy, right? It doesn't work that way. But you need to have people in this section and my question to you is, is who are these people for you? Who are those people who you would consider pre-Christians? And then the next question is, is when's the last time you intentionally hosted them? When's the last time you intentionally hosted them? For a lot of you who are like, oh, I got pre-Christians on there. Easy sermon, right? Like no big deal. But the real question then is, is when's the last time you intentionally hosted those people? And I know this question isn't completely fair. It's not completely fair. But can I just say that with the rise of the internet, with the rise of cell phones, the rise of Facebook, there tends to be very little intentionality with people anymore. I was incredibly lucky that uh, when Sarah and I got here about a year ago, when Sarah and I got here, um, there were a whole group of people, a ton of different people who uh, invited us to their house. We had some pool parties. We've had dinner parties with people. I say parties. It's like five of us and, you know, well, sorry, five adults and then five kids. We were playing man-to-man defense at that point. But there were, you know, so we got an opportunity to go and dine with people. And people were uh, incredibly intentional with Sarah and I as they wanted to get to know us and wanted to get to know who the new senior pastor was and what are the changes you have going on for my ministry and, you know, all those different conversations that so subtly tend to come up. But people were incredibly intentional and we were so thankful for that, for people opening their homes and being willing to host us. And I think that's true of this church. I think that's true of the people who are sitting here is that, man, we enjoy to host. And I don't know if it's like the Baptist blood in us where we're like, hey, we should get together and eat together, right? Like, I don't know if that's the case because that tends to be like a, a Baptist thing that we do. Um, I, don't know, I don't know what it is, but I think that our people, our church, those of you who have been here for a long period of time do enjoy opening your home to other people. And so what I would say is I would leverage that. I would leverage you hosting and loving other people into inviting those people who would be called pre-Christians into your home to be able to love them well in that really simple way. To say, hey, come on over. Like, 
I know there's like a thousand of you in here. There's not a thousand of you in here, but if there were, 99% of you would say, I know how to make the best smoked tri-tip. Like per capita in here, it's ridiculous how many of you make the best smoked tri-tip in the world, okay? And to be fair, it's not, it can't be true across, not everybody can be the best at it, but regardless. It's incredibly important for us to be intentional with those people intentional with those pre-Christians because what happens when you're sitting across a table from somebody is you have to begin to consider their feelings. You have to begin to consider their emotions. Your heart softens to who these people are and you begin to love them better simply because you're sitting face to face, not screen to screen. You have to be incredibly intentional with people and with these people, because it's a whole lot more difficult for you to hate someone when they're sitting directly across from you. It's a whole lot more difficult for you to get frustrated with someone as they're sitting right across from you. And church, we've gotten a bad reputation, not FBH, but the global church has gotten a bad reputation of just getting frustrated with society. They're just getting frustrated with people. Frustrated with those people who simply just don't understand why, like, why can't you just understand what you're supposed, like this moral type of living, like just be better, like just love Jesus, whatever it may be. And we've gotten a really bad reputation at just being known for what we're against rather than what we're for. You know, I've said this numerous times before, but the Bible doesn't say the, the world will know us because of, our, because of our convictions. The world will know us because of our love. That's what scripture tells us. And so we have to be willing to be intentional with those people. You know, we have to be just simply go grab a grill and go into the, your front yard maybe and just be like, yell over to your neighbor, hey, you got some corn? Bring some corn over. We're just gonna hang out in the front. Go grill in your, front, go grill in your driveway. And as joggers are walking by, ask them to come over. Because we all know they don't wanna jog in the first place. <laughs> I'd much rather have a hot dog. But whatever it is, just be intentional. Be willing to host those who don't yet know Jesus so they can encounter them. And I wish this was the end of this story. I wish like we could finish the story and be like, yep, that's the end. Man, good story. I wish we could wrap up the story by saying they were all filled up and they hung out with Jesus and they all began to follow him and they all got some good sleep with some smoke tri-tip in their bellies and then they just went about their day following Jesus. Like that's not what happens though. Because then we read Mark 16 and 17. Mark 16 and 17 says, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw them eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Here's a one thing that I wanna point out here is in verse 16, that who, who do the Pharisees come and talk to? Is it Jesus? Is it Jesus in that? Oh, no, it's not. It says he goes and talks to Jesus' disciples. So I want you, church, to make sure that as you are dealing with different, if you're dealing with community and frustrations in community and different people in community and you're frustrated by it, don't go talk to their friends. Don't go talk to other people. Go to the source and have a conversation. Let's put our big kid pants on and get out of junior high and have a conversation face-to-face -face with one another. And that's what it says here. But going on this, 17, then Jesus talks to him and was like, hey, look, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sick. Yeah, can I just say, I love the way that Jesus flocked 
or, or that sinners flocked to Jesus in the, in the Gospels. It's like, man, Jesus, somewhere it says in here, he's like walking along and there's just like people following him. Like they just love encountering who he was. They obviously felt comfortable with him. They felt loved by him. They were attracted to his teachings. And Jesus was obviously glad to be with him, but the Pharisees weren't happy with all of this. They're actually not happy at all with this. And so they pull the disciples aside and they ask them, why does he eat with these people? Why does he eat with these sinners and these tax collectors? This wasn't an innocent question on their part. It was actually an outright accusation on their part. In these opening chapters of Mark, there's actually a growing escalation of hostility towards Jesus that ultimately ends up with them plotting to kill him. There's that much hostility going on. When the Pharisees saw Jesus eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they went nuts. Are you kidding me right now? Jesus accepted those whom the Pharisees deemed unacceptable, unapproachable. And Jesus is sitting there reclining at a table with them in the lap of luxury. The problem with that, though, is that God's mercy and God's grace isn't for the righteous. It's for everyone. And therefore, we have no right to try to keep God's mercy and grace from anyone. And if we are going to do that, that means we need to spend more time with pre-Christians. If the kingdom of God is going to grow, you have to know people who are not yet in the kingdom of God. It's easy to to get lifted out of our relationships with pre-Christians especially the longer that you've been in the fellowship, like the fellowship of believers is what we would call the church. The longer you've been in this game, the harder it is for you to remain friends with people who don't believe the same things as you. It's difficult. I'm not saying it's not. Like I'm being honest with you right now. It's hard. It's hard for me. I mean, I think about my staff. It's like, man, we are just literally surrounded by Christians every single day. And so for me to be intentional, for my staff to be intentional, that's a hard thing. It's a difficult thing. We don't even have an opportunity to go to work and not have Christians around us, right? I show up and I'm like, Jeff, you're still a Christian, man? That's hard. (laughs) That's hard. But we get lifted out of those relationships. I I, I learned a new term recently. It's this term called, called third spaces, And some of you may have heard it, uh, but third spaces are essentially the last space that people hang out. So there's home, there's work, and then there's whatever other space that you hang out in. So as you, and maybe you have kids right now, so as you have kids, your third space might be a soccer field. Congratulations, right? For way too long. Maybe it's a soccer field, or maybe you're like, you know what, kids are out of the house now, and so your third space is church. Like I, we do church and maybe it's, maybe it's here on a Sunday morning or you're somewhere else on a Wednesday night being plugged into a small group, whatever it may be. Your third space might be church. Maybe your third space is a coffee shop somewhere and you have the ability to just go and sit and read for a couple hours. Congratulations. Don't brag about that to me. But for our non-believing friends, that space is not church. It is not here. That is a different space. And if we never intersect with them in their third space, how will we ever communicate Christ to them? Which is why when we talk about the idea of oikos, 
You just simply have to be intentional because they're there. You just have to identify the space that they're in. And the longer you're a Christian, the more you get lifted out of it and, and the more that you, you have fewer and fewer relationships with pre-Christians. But Jesus not only calls the sinners to follow him, not only calls them to fellowship with him, um, but, but we really have to ask ourselves this last question. It's a hard question. Is, are you more like Matthew or are you more like the Pharisees? And it's a real difficult question because in hindsight, we know who the bad guys are in the gospel, right? We know the Pharisees are the bad guys. We know that Jesus is constantly harping on them, constantly talking about how terrible they are and, you know, their whitewashed tombs and all that stuff. So we know that. And so very seldom do we enjoy putting ourselves in that camp of the Pharisees. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, we need to be intentional about asking yourself the question, if you're more like Matthew, a guy who was messed up, a guy who was a total sinner, but was willing to listen to the Son of God and do exactly what the Son of God told him to do? Or are we more like the Pharisees in the story? Are you leaning into the judgmental side of things, playing armchair quarterback with people's lives? And I'm not saying I never fall into the latter. I'm not even saying this is like a regular pattern of behavior. I would say that on a regular basis, on an, even a daily basis, we need to have this question at the forefront of our minds. Is that, am I being more of a disciple or am I being more of a Pharisee? Where do I fall today? And oftentimes it may land with uh, how much sleep I got the night before. But we fall in to these categories. I have a hard time giving people grace who mess up and I have to make sure I'm listening to the voice of God as he looks at me and he says, follow me rather than whispering behind people's backs and silently judging people and silently judging what they're doing, assuming that I have the moral high ground in their lives when simply I am a sinner in the same way that they are sinners. The only benefit is, is that I have the opportunity to know Jesus. And we need to be willing to introduce them in the same way. The last piece of this story you really need to understand, though, is that regardless where we fall on this spectrum from Matthew to Pharisee, Jesus calls people to repentance and into a relationship with him. I mean, in verse 17, the Pharisees asked why Jesus ate with them. And Jesus doesn't say, you know, because they offered smoke tri-tip or anything like that. Um, he actually tells him, a, he talks about the fact that a doctor who avoids the sick isn't much help to anybody. I don't know about you guys, but if I called my doctor and I said, hey, I broke my leg, and he was like, yeah, sorry, I'm hanging out with people who don't have broken legs. And it's not a very good doctor. And that's what Jesus talks about here. A good doctor is going to jump right in there with those who are ill and work to, to help them, work to heal them. And if you're healthy, you don't need a doctor, but those who are sick do. And that's what Jesus is telling the Pharisees here. Just as the sick person needs a doctor, so the sinner needs a savior. That's why Jesus ate with the tax collectors and sinners. Jesus calls sinners to repentance. A good doctor doesn't leave someone in their illness, especially if he can cure them. He will cure them. That's his job. That's his responsibility. And in the same way, Jesus loves us too much to leave us in our sin. 
Jesus calls sinners not to stay in their sin, but to leave that sin and to follow him. That's what it talks about in verse 16 and 17. And that's what those who have said yes to Jesus before and continue to say yes every day get an opportunity to encounter. They get an opportunity to encounter the freedom that comes from knowing Christ, recognizing that they are sinners, that we are sinners, that we are broken people, that none of us have it together, regardless of what we look like on the outside, regardless of our happy, shining, smiley faces on a Sunday morning. All of us are sinners and broken people. And we simply have freedom in Christ. And that's, that's why on the first Sunday of every month, we get an opportunity to take communion, to celebrate that and what Jesus did. So I'm going to, if you're a part of our diaconate team who's serving ushers or serving this morning, you can go ahead and make your way to the back. Um, and I'm going to invite Kyle to come out. And on the first Sunday of every month, we have a tradition here at FBH, and that's the opportunity to partake in communion. And communion, for those of you who are, who are new to faith, in the same way that, that Jesus actually reclined at Matthew's table on the night, before that he, the night before he was betrayed, he reclined at a table in the upper room, and he established communion for the first time. We receive communion as a way uh, to remember who Christ is and what he has done in our lives. If you're not a member of FBH, that's okay. Uh, we believe in what's called an open table theology. All we ask is that uh, you, you would know who Jesus is and you are following him with your life to partake in communion with us. Uh, we'll be passing our plates while, while the music is playing. And so uh, uh, Kyle's going to lead us in a song. The plates will be passed. Um, in the plates, we do it a little bit differently here. In the plates, uh, you're only going to get one plate. And as it goes, the elements are stacked one on top of the other. So make sure you take both cups, okay? Hold that. And I want you to think about your relationship with Jesus. Search yourself is what scripture tells us to do as we search ourselves for communion. And take an opportunity, listen to the music if you wanna listen, sing to the music if you wanna sing, whatever you want to do. But this is about communing with the savior of the world. It's communing with the creator of the world. This is commuting with the Spirit for those of you who have accepted Christ as your Savior, who lives inside of you. That's why it's called communion in general. And then after that song is over, uh, we will take of the elements together, and then we'll finish with one song at the, at the very end. But for those of you who don't yet know who Jesus is, and you hear a message like this, and you hear about you know, the freedom that we have in Christ, and Jesus welcomed the sinners, welcomed the tax collectors, welcomed the worst of the worst, and you think to yourself, you know what? And he, he may have accepted those people, but you have no clue what I've done in my life. I'm not worthy of God's grace. I'm not worthy of his salvation. Whatever it may be, we're gonna just take an opportunity as an entire church, we're just gonna bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you fall into that category with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if you fall into that category of somebody who has not said yes to Jesus, I just wanna give you an opportunity right now before we partake in the Lord's Supper, before we partake in communion, to say that God, and, and you can pray along with me if this is you, and just say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. God, I'm messed up. And God, I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross on my behalf. 
God, I believe that. I believe he walked. He was a real person who walked this earth, who taught, who ate with sinners like me. And then ultimately he was nailed to a cross, died, and then three days later conquered death. I believe that you did that. You sent your son for me so I could be with you in eternity forever. And God, from this day forth, I choose to follow you every single day of my life. And that prayer doesn't just have to be one for those who have not yet known Jesus. That's a prayer that all of us can pray. That God, I choose to follow you every single day of my life. Direct my steps. Father, make me a disciple, not a Pharisee. Protect me from myself, Lord. Father, we love you. It's your son's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this week's sermon. Music was by the band Broke for Free. And if you would like more information about our church, feel free to check out fbhanford.org. That's fbhanford.org. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.